Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is January of 2021. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. And I'm Jeff Greiner. With us, as always, is Sam Dillon. Say hello, Sam. Hello, Sam. And also Mike Shea. Say hello, Mike. Hello. And that's us. That's the only introduction you get. Uh, Samuel... You are first on the list of talkers today, so we're going to dive right in. We're going to get into it, and you get to start. You have to stop talking to people in the chat on the Twitch. I'll, I'll take over. <laughs> I'll start talking to chat. All right. You have to stop t- uh, talking to the to them on the chat room, but you can talk to them directly through fifteen minutes of conversation about your game. But I was uh, having fun agreeing and disagreeing at the same time. Apparently, well, good. <laughs> I'm starting the uh, clock though. Go. Okay, so right now I'm running three games. Um, actually, that's not true. I'm running four games. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, so uh, so I have my Rhyme of the Frost Maiden game, and um, we actually ended up canceling the session because it was on Christmas and one of the players couldn't make it. Um, and so uh, we canceled that. So I think last time that we talked, I had actually I was either just going to run the next session or I just had run the last. I don't remember. Anyway, so basically my party made it to I think I talked about this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Um, um, oh, my God. Mike Shea is saying really horrible uh, <laughs> representation of anything I would say. You're talking the, right now. I'm taking over for you in the chat. <laughs> and I decided you think you're wrong about the Forgotten Realms and that the Forgotten Realms is awesome. Uh, and uh, so yeah you just keep talking about your game anyway uh so uh so my frost maiden game the party made it to um tourmaline and they went into the mine and they fought all the creatures in the mine and they I, this is when i the first time i was able to introduce the idea of torog being involved in this situation because uh, in the mine there's a cobalt in there and the kobold is uh, so there's a ghost in there that has supposedly possessed the kobold and the ghost does whatever and so what i did was i changed it so that there's also a the mind flayer skull in the mine and so what i did was i had the kobold find the mind flayer skull and a psi crystal and so the mind flayer skull had the psi crystal in it and in that way torog was able to start communicating and influencing this kobold. And uh, so the kobold found this satchel with like a manacle that had Torog symbol on it and with a journal in it, whatever. All that's in the book other than the Torog part, right? Um, And so basically uh, the, um, the party figured everything out and they ended up killing the kobold even though they started by negotiating with it because it told them that all it really wanted to do was find a place for it's it's in it and its comrades it had like five or six other kobolds with it to to live peacefully in tourmaline and like if if the party could represent them and just you know whatever but then the party told them well if you go live there even if they accept you you'll you'll have to put your names in for the drawing for the sacrifice 
so they didn't, they said, okay, well, we don't really want to do that. So one of the party members is a redhead tribesman and said to them, hey, you know, my tribe will accept you. They're very accepting people. And so I can introduce you to them. And at first the cobalt was like, no, I don't really want that. And, but you know, how big is your tribe? And and I think the, the, the player said like, oh, it's got 200 people or something. And the cobalt piped up and said, oh, 200 people. Oh, I really want, that sounds wonderful. And then the party got suspicious. <laughs> so they started like thinking, what the heck's going on? And then they started thinking, okay, well, if that's a mind flayer skull, maybe this thing is trying to get out and infest it'll infest the tribe and start taking over the tribe because it has some kind of relationship to a mind flayer. So, so they, they ended up killing him. Um, but now they have a psi crystal and this, the, one of the PCs is probably going to attune to the psi crystal. And that's, that's almost where we stopped. So, um, so they figured that out. And so that game is extremely fun, but you know, I mean, my party is so all over the place that I, I'm constantly having to address and add new things and do different things. Um, it's really not on a railroad at all. And that's, I mean, this sounds like I'm, I'm, I just framed it as if it's a complaint. It's not a complaint at all. It's a extremely fun game. It's a great adventure. I'm really super enjoying it. Um, but one of the things is because it's such a sandboxy type of adventure, uh, my game is probably not like anybody else's, which is a benefit and a drawback because that means that when people say, hey, how do I deal with this thing, you know, the way I deal with it might not be the way somebody else would deal with it because it's so reliant because it's so sandboxy. It's so reliant on party dynamics and whatnot. So, so that's, it's a good and a bad thing. I, 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 um, I find a little bit of that. I'm in like various Facebook groups for curse of Strahd or out of the abyss mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. And, um, I find, you know, I've, I've obviously like a lot of DMs go through a lot of, of changes to the adventure based off of the the characters you have and the players you have and you know other random things you want to throw in like uh, a play test for a fantastic layer um, that you want to make work you know all these all these things um, make things change and make it unique and whatever and yet I find that even on things that I've dramatically changed like I when I ran um, my in, in my Raleigh my last Raleigh campaign, I ran that mashup of Out of the Abyss and and the Rod of Seven Parts and uh, oh, Prince of the Apocalypse, and, and and so that required massive change. And yet, I still find that there are some pretty relevant questions that come up. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and yeah. I can still speak to that. And even if I can't say this is how I did it, I can at least I'm at least very familiar with what they're talking about mm-hmm. because I know what it right. was and how I changed it. Yeah. But it's, but yeah, I just, it's one of those things that I enjoy about, about sandboxes. So that was all really my main point. Um, so then I'm also running a, I'm also running my D and D brief game, which I, I already talked about. Um, the, the party went through an infernal gate. They had to go and they had to negotiate with a, a devil because, they want to get the use of two infernal gates because they figured out last time that in order to to reverse the flooding event that's that's going on that catastrophically changed the world, the water has to get has to have a pathway back to the blue plateau through the red plateau, which is basically hell, right? And so they needed to 
bargain with a, a, a devil to get the use of those two gates so that water can go into the Red Plateau and out of the Red Plateau without being reduced in any way so that they don't mess up other stuff, right? So they, they had to go in and, and bargain with the devil and make like contracts and um, and so the devil, of course, has something that they want, that, that it wants, and that they had to go retrieve. And so I used um, 2C Gaming's uh, Total Party Kill books. So they have their Total Party handbooks that have a bunch of encounters and whatnot. And so one of those is a sort of maze through this kind of demon devil-infested area where there's darkness everywhere, and they have to try to go through... Uh, they're getting led through, but they're getting attacked as they go, and they can't really see unless they have true sight. And so that was really super fun because it was just a way to, like, you know, give, give them some damage. Um, and then they they go and they they go and they they talk to this devil, and this devil really wants this artifact that's being created. And the and the name of the artifact, I ch- I slightly changed the name from what's in the book, but it's the Ark of Sorrow. And so the devil makes a deal with them that they he will open up a portal and let them go to this area called the Demon Forge where there is a, a, a special magic item called the Ark of Sorrow being created. And it's really just a sword, <laughs> but it has this special power, and it's being created for a devil, but he wants it instead. The one they're negotiating with wants it instead. So they go in, and in, the way this is set up, there's a big Baylor that is trapped in there, and and the devils in the forge are using the Baylor. This is out of the book. The using the Baylor as the power source for the forge because the raging energy of the Baylor that's trapped is stuck there. So the party goes in. I changed some of the devil-type creatures that were in there, um, but basically they have to go in and they have to either just avoid the Baylor, who actually gets one of his arms loose and he uses the chain that was holding him as a big giant whip and whips it around and tries to kill everybody because it's just enraged because it's trapped. But they ended up actually talking to the Baylor and negotiating with it and like it basically told them as they were, they're still, they're here like fighting these devils. And it told them, if you set me free, like set, set me free and, and you, you'll get out of here. Right. Like you set me free and you'll get a chance to get out before I kill everybody in here. And so <laughs> one of the, one player that was talking to they were telepathically communicating said, okay, well, if I, just give me a couple of minutes and then I, I will unbind your chains. Right. And so it said, uh, uh, you know, it's basic. I mean, it didn't have a choice at that point, but they, they, they said, you know, don't quit swinging that chain around, pretend like you're still trapped. And then I will break your chains in just a little bit. Right. Cause they had to get the weapon first. They couldn't leave without the weapon. So they get the weapon, they undo the Baylor. The Baylor rages, starts killing everything around. They had to fight a couple of the devils, but they were able to like orchestrate it so they could get through it, get out of there. And then they get back. And as they're as they get back, they they learn <laughs> that the Ark of Sorrow was the 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 weapon that they stole from I mean they they basically took it. They they kind of finagled their way and they did they pulled like a heist. The the what they took was uh, actually being forged for Glacia. And Glacia is the the head of the sixth layer of hell and the daughter of Asmodeus, right? So they, they're like, oh, crap. We just, like, made it so that we could, uh, like... <laughs> 
take this weapon. But so now, okay, we dealt with this devil and we got the thing we needed so that we could reverse the sinking. But now the queen of the sixth layer of hell is going to hate us <laughs> because of course we just stole the thing that was being created for her for whatever purpose, who knows? And we gave it to this devil here who, who let us, you know, that there's a gatekeeper devil. And so like, so that it's a huge amount of fun and, and it's really fun. But now like they're getting in so much deep crap. I mean, it's like, they are, yeah, they're, 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 it's, it, it's going to be in for them. I mean, like they're, that is and, a, that know, is a very different, um, play style than what most of D and D brief has been following. So I'm really interested when those sessions come out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it was most, I mean, so they spent two sessions in when they went through this infernal gate, the first session was all negotiate going through that maze part and then negotiating with the devil. Then the next session was, going into that forge. And when they went in, their plan was that they were going to, they didn't know who the, who the, the Ark of Sorrow was being made for, right. but their plan was to go in and negotiate with the craftsperson, right? They didn't know who was crafting it, but they knew that there was a trapped craftsperson in there. And basically they ended up, so there was a lot, there was a lot of negotiation because, um, you know, the cleric couldn't really agree to sell anybody's soul, Sure. Right. Including her own, because, of course, that would upset her her deity. So the cleric couldn't do that. So there was this huge negotiation element to this, which is very much is in line with how they do things. Then they went to the forge and they tried to sneak around. And then they were talking to one of the the bard was talking to the person making the weapon and learns that this person making this weapon, they're doing it because they have to. But this thing is their magnum opus. This is the thing that is the best thing they've ever created. But as soon as it's done and they deliver it, they're they're going to be freed. Well, of course, now the party's about to steal it. This person's not going to get freed, right? So they're they're dooming this person, right? right? So they had a lot of choices to make in terms of yeah, there's all kinds of consequences. And then when they get back, then they learn that it was for Glacia, and now it's like, oh crap. I'm also intrigued by the whole concept of what, what is it? They're trying to get find a way for the the water from the blue plateau to basically go through hell and then come back out without losing water. Is that right? Right. So when they wrote in, the, they they found out from the book of proofs based on different things that they wrote in there that the way to reverse the sink that you could reverse the sinking event. Right. Right. The way that to reverse it was to take all the water that's coming into the into the common plateau from the blue plateau. And you have to reverse that. You have to f- close the rift that's in the blue plateau, which they did. Right. They, they did. So they, they went planar hopping the last three or four sessions. They went to the blue plateau. They did a bunch of stuff. They closed the rift. And now they're hopping to the red plateau because the water has to go based on the way that the map, the vision of the way that every, all the planes are connected. The blue plateau is like a river that runs through all the planes and so they have to seal the rift. Then they have to get the movement of the blue plateau going through the red plateau again. Uh, so they need that open so they can have the water go back the other direction. I, I kind of want. I, I kind of like the idea of them establishing basically this river through hell um, and having something go wrong. So basically, your your players are responsible for creating sticks. <laughs> right. So I don't I don't know exactly what's going to happen there, but yeah, probably something's going to go wrong because Glacia is involved. As soon as she figures out 
that this is what happened. She's much more powerful than the gate devil, right? Oh, the gatekeeper sure. devil. So she can immediately put the kibosh on the deal he made, right? Like she can make it so that th- that that in in by the letter of the contract they fulfill, you know, the devil fulfills the contract, but by the spirit of it, it doesn't get fulfilled, right? And so that's what that's that's probably what's going to happen. There's going to be something that happens. Probably it depends on what they do. Um, so then, my, and then I'm running, I'm running two other games. I'm running a Castle and Crusades game, which I don't have time to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then I, I ran D and D the other day for my teenage players, which I haven't run I was, for them in a while. I was wondering time. if yeah, you haven't talked yeah. about them in a while. Yeah, so I ran that because um, because the pandemic happened, and I was running that game in person. And then we ran a couple times online, and their computer systems just aren't all that great, and so and they're not really savvy with computers, so it was really difficult to do that. And then their school started back, so they ha- they just didn't have any time. So uh, so I ran for them uh, on Tuesday, and I ran a mashup of the. Um, what is the name of it? The the Temple of the Centipede Cult yeah. from Fantastic Lairs, right? And a mashup between that and the Cathedral of the Ten Thousand Flames, which is from the Underworld Lairs, from the Kingdom of the Ghouls mm-hmm. or Empire mm-hmm. of the Ghouls uh, by Rich Green, right? So, um, yeah. So so I ran this mashup just because it was very like very nicely set up and super easy to put the Cathedral from the Cathedral of Ten Thousand Flames as the above ground portion of it. And then under that is the, the temple of the centipede cult. Right. And just make the whole thing very eerie and all that the party's fifth level, but there's really only two of them with like two kind of sidekick characters. So running through the temple of the centipede cult is extremely doable, right? Like they're not probably going to die at fifth level, but I can add or take away some elements and, and, and make that work really well. Um, but what the thing that happened that I was talking about in the Tome Show um, Discord was what happened was so they got down and they they were doing a bunch of stuff in the in the temple and then they decided to go back up to the cathedral part because they hadn't looked at the whole at, at all the rooms in there and they get to this one room and there's an empty coffin in the corner and because of the way I had to change the map to make sure there were stairs down into the um, into the centipede cult temple. Uh, I made it so that I had already pre-planned beforehand that that coffin was really just a teleportation area. So if you stood in the coffin or laid down in the coffin, it would take you to the room that no longer was really attached to those stairs. Cause I made the stairs go the other direction, right. To get down to the temple. So, um, but they see this empty coffin and they're like, Oh, what is this? And one, one of the, one of the players thought it was going to be a mummy. It's like, Oh, mummies, mummies. There's going to be a mummy in here. And he like convinces all the other PCs to light uh, torches. Right. So we're going to have to set him on fire when he pops out of there. And I'm like, mummies don't live in coffins. And he's like, no, it's going to be a mummy. I know it's going to be a mummy. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be before because he's afraid of this mummy. Right. And so it's going to be horrible. And I'm like, there's not going to be a mummy in there. Mummies don't, live in coffins what lives in a coffin I, I don't know but mummies live in coffins i said no where do mummies live uh, and he says he's thinking he's 14 right so he says uh, a sarcophagus he lives in a sarcophagus and i said yeah 
but that's in in a mausoleum or in a tomb or in a crypt or in in some kind of a castle i said that's a cough that that's a that's a sarcophagus like in a in a pyramid right but what's a coffin for if you have a tomb with coffins what's going to be in there not a mummy what's going to be oh maybe skeletons okay maybe skeletons but what else i don't know a mummy but i i just know it's going to be a mummy he says and i'm like no 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 it's not going to be a mummy what lives in a coffin? He's, and he's, he honestly is like, I have no idea. And I'm like, vampire live in coffins. And he freaked out. He's like, oh, my God, a vampire. And, but he got really excited because I guess he likes vampires, which I did not know. So, so then how does he not know they live in coffins? <laughs> I, I, I think I think he just likes the idea of oh that's even more scary than a mummy sure, right like okay. he doesn't know right he doesn't know they're very um they're not really up on sort of typical tropes that a lot of people are right sure um, they're they're real real protected by their by their parents let's say um, so that's the nicest way to say it uh, they're just they're not they they have a lot different experience than. You know they don't they they don't play computer games at all, and they don't like have access to them at all, and they don't watch TV at all. They have books, but very different. You know the the only books they read are ones approved by their parents. So you know their mom doesn't let them read you know Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? So right. whatever. Um. So <laughs> so anyway, so basically what I had happen was so th- they started testing out this coffin. So they opened it and nothing was in there. And so they were kind of relieved, but then they thought, well, why is there nothing in there? So they started like they poked a 10 foot pole down there. And so what I said was, well, when you poke the pole in there, the half that you're poking in disappears. You can't see it. Mm. So they threw some stuff in. They threw a torch into the thing and it disappeared. And then the guy pulled. He's, he was still holding on to the 10 foot pole. So he pulls it out and it's whole again. And so they realize, oh wait, so it's like it's either inter it's like extra dimensional or it's like teleporting or it's doing something. And they decide it's gonna be it's gotta be ex- like that's an extra dimensional space in there, right? Like it's, it has to be like a pocket domain in there. So they so and I said, Yeah, but now you threw your torch in there. So whoever's on the other side knows that you're here. And they're like, Oh crap. So they wrote a note <laughs> and they're like Hello, they like they they wrote like a it was like an elementary school note like hello, uh, we don't mean any harm, uh, you know, um, please don't hurt us. Basically, Ooh, like we like you. If, do you like us? Check yeah, yes or no. Like us, click yes or no. Yeah, and so they they ball that up and they throw it back, and so because the one because the one kid was so like excited about oh my god vampires vampires. I had the return message from the from the from whoever's over there be a very nice sealed envelope with a wax seal stamped onto it and very nice calligraphy and I had it be a, an invitation from Strahd and so it said you know I'm very pleased to make your acquaintance thank you for visiting my other home and you know I would like to invite you to my castle to have a, a formal dinner where we can have a more civilized conversation you know very very tutti fruity you know straw you know fanciful language kind of thing and I read this to them and I said and it's signed by Strad von Zarovich and the other their brothers the other one goes oh no i know that name oh no this is horrible <laughs> so of course now i have to take them to ravenloft right 
Um, <laughs> so that's that's where we ended that. Um, It'll be interesting to start Ravenloft with the dinner. Like, see, you know, uh, session session one is you come out of the coffin and you're in the castle, and and Strahd, you know, yeah. as, tells you to. Maybe see you're him. like you're on the table. So yeah. like you, you, yeah. <laughs> you get vampires like oh hey they're here. Well, so and I don't know how. So they they wrote a note back that said, "Oh, thank you for the invitation. Um, we can't do it right now. We're kind of in the middle of something, so uh, <laughs> we'll be there as soon as we can." And they had like tried to scramble to finish uh, what they were doing. Um, but uh, so so what I realized through this particular game was. I was doing the exact same thing that I always ge- give Jeff Griner such a hard time about. <laughs> and that is I mashed up so many different pieces because they started out this adventure um, in Dungeon of the Mad Mage. They started out actually in in a in a smaller dungeon because they had said they wanted to go through some dungeons. And so I had them going through a smaller dungeon just to kind of teach them some dungeon crawly things because they had not done that previously. And so they interacted with a cult and whatnot. And then they ended up finding an entrance to the dungeon of the Mad Mage, not through the Waterdeep Yawning Portal, but just just one of the levels. It wasn't actually the whole, you know, under under the um, under mountain. Um, and then I had them. They they were in a couple of towns in between and whatnot, and they had a bunch of interactions there and all that. And now they're back looking for this particular artifact from the very first session, and it led them to this place. So. And now I'm going to end up smashing up Strahd with this. So I, I guess I'm just as bad as Jeff. Although, although now in fairness, and both to you and me, this is how people have been playing D&D since the beginning, oh. right? I mean, I you've got that. a published thing, you run right. it, and then you, the, the one time I ran that was different was during that Out of the Abyss, Princess of the Apocalypse, Rod of Seven Parts, because the, I ran them. adventure mashup is the difference. I, well, yeah, I ran them all simultaneously, <laughs> and that right. was a different, I, I right. really enjoyed the experience. It worked really well, but that's not the same thing as like what, what you're do, talking about or even what I'm doing in my current campaign where you go, Dragon Heist, Curse of Strahd, you know, and then some other things where I'm ripping yeah. out dungeons of other, like that's just how D and D has always worked. Yeah. So yeah, no, I know. I just like giving you a hard time about it, <laughs> and uh, and recognizing that I suddenly was like mashing up five different things, you know, because I also my the other thing that's going to happen is they're going to end up dealing with some of the Numenera stuff. So the you know oh. the 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 beasts of blood and steel or whatever whatever whatever's the name of that. Uh, Beasts of Flesh and Steel, you know, has some really interesting creatures and and that's all very like construct based kind of stuff, a lot of it. So you've got the five E you got the five E books, is that what you're yeah. Yeah, Arcana the Ancients and Beasts of Flesh and Steel. I've got right here. Yeah. I've 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 seriously considered it, but I have so many I have so many different settings and so many different adventures. I don't have time to get to the things I have. So yeah, well, see, that's part of why I'm doing this is because you know I I ended up I had a big credit from Noble Knight Games because I sold them a bunch of my stuff and I mm-hmm. got the big strawed like the big coffin box thing that's so super oh, yeah? huge. Nice. And I haven't even opened it yet because I don't have the hardcover right. Like I bought the hardcover when it first came out and I read it and then I think we reviewed it and then I I got rid of it. I gave it to somebody. Um, and so, uh, so I, I went ahead and I was like, well, I have a credit. I'll maybe I'll get this, and because I, I want to see how they do with the soft cover and whatnot. So I got it, but I've just never opened it because I never had a chance. I'm always doing other things, right? And then I started thinking, well, if I run this game for them, and if if I I'm trying to negotiate with their mom to get like a regular schedule for it, because I can't run Strahd if I'm only going to meet with them once every two and a half months. You know what I mean? I need to. I need that needs to be a more regular thing. So. Right. Uh, but if I'm going to do that, then 
there's no way I'm going to get through everything I ever want to run. So I might as well just start throwing things in, which was part of that. So that's right. part of why that's the only chance I'll get to use the beasts of flesh and steel. And, and, and as we can discuss when, when it's my turn in a moment, um, that's largely why I'm ripping out the dungeons that I'm ripping out. Cause it's like, well, I don't know that I'm ever going to get a chance to run two of annihilation, but I kind of want to do the Acerarak death trap dungeon thing. So I'm just right. stealing it and sticking it in this yep. campaign. Uh, wh- why don't I talk about our sponsor, AwesomeDice.com, and then we can get into all of that stuff for my game when I'm on the clock. Not, not, that, the, not that the clock matters much because you were like 10 well, minutes I over, think, so. Yeah, I think <laughs> Sam spent like 45 minutes, which means you've got three. Yeah, something like that. That's how that works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so AwesomeDice.com is our sponsor at the moment. You should totally check them out. They are an awesome dice company. Um, and my, uh, thing to highlight this time around is I am kind of really enjoying the fact that they, they have dice set up by class. So they have a catalog of dice, of course. And so they've decided that they're going to create sort of a curated selection of dice by D and D class. And so you can just sort of click on, uh, the bard dice and see what kind of fun things they have or the druid dice. I like the druid dice they have um, because they have one set that is what, what do they call it? They call it the, their skull dice because they're they're clear dice with little little tiny resin skulls in it with a little bit of like cave moss stuck in there with it too and it's kind of cool. Uh, and so they've got all kinds of uh, cool dice and they have a curated selection of them by D&D class. So check that out from awesomedice.com. Look, if you're going to roll dice, you're going to need precision. Awesomedice.com has sharp edge dice for a fraction of the price of other such precision dice sellers. Chill out, my man. Oh, hello, Bard. Please, share your bardic inspiration about dice. Yeah, I've got bardic inspiration dice. It's this totally mellow cannabis-themed set with smoky interior, exclusively available at awesomedice.com. I see. Well, precision, bardic inspiration, or one of countless other unique dice sets. It seems you can get it all at the most awesome dice company on the internet, awesomedice.com. And don't forget to let him know the Tome Show sent you, dudes. Now it is my turn to talk about my game. So, or games. Um... So my, I've been referring to the one game as my, um, as my uh, Curse of Strahd game, or before that it was the Dragon Heist game, um, which isn't helpful anymore because now I'm in the third act, which is my homebrew story sort of wrap up to the whole thing. Um, and so I'm going to start referring to it as in the name that I've been using with the group since the beginning, which is uh, Deep Darkness is the name of the campaign. Uh, because, you know, water deep and then darkness of Barovia, I figured I'd mash them up, call it Deep Darkness, and it worked. Um, so we're in Act 3 with that game. Um, since we last chatted, they had just, I think last time we chatted, they had just defeated Strahd and got out 
of Barovia and Barovia merged with Waterdeep and now Castle Ravenloft is up on the top of Mount Waterdeep overlooking the city and, and there was all that stuff. And I, uh, I think I talked about how some of my players, uh, one in particular, was was upset that there was a lack of like treasure reward uh, for having defeated Strahd and, and what have you. And then now we're into the Act 3 and Act 3 is they come down from the mountain and there's a massive like – um, they described it as the containment unit from Ghostbusters exploding, like all this energy <laughs> shooting up into the air, right? And then I described these these uh, couple dozen-ish gray comets uh, or shooting stars that go bursting out all over F- Faerun. And that is each of the dark powers in the Amber Temple that now that it's here uh, and they've all been broken out of the sarcophagi, the Amber Sarcophagi from Amber Temple, they've all – um, found their own champions in the world and imbued them with Strahd-like boosts and bonuses, right? And that's where I'm pulling out a bunch of I'm, – I'm pulling out the, the legendary dragons uh, stats. Uh, uh, Green Ronin has uh, the Book of Fiends and has some really powerful but interesting and unique monsters. And I'm pulling all these stats from different sort of third-party things and being like, okay, that's – the champ that's such and such who became this thing which is the champion of this dark power right uh and obviously it would be cumbersome and and a little tiresome to then say okay now go out and travel all of toral to to find and defeat all of the champions of the dark powers also because that doesn't actually ultimately solve the problem because the dark powers are still out there you just defeated the champion like when you beat strahd you didn't kill vampire who created strahd right uh, and so um, each of them I, – I used one of the characters, Warlock Patron, to give each of them sort of a, a vision of um, one of the comets that, that shot out, one of the dark powers choosing a champion. Uh, and so they have and, – and I tied them all to their own characters' backstories, right? So one of them saw – uh, a comet go down and crash into the a, a ruined city in in the jungles far to the south, right in Chult, uh, and it hits the the necromancer that killed the halfling druid's family way back in his backstory, right, and and turns him into a, a lich, and he sort of cackles and laughs and goes down into the dungeon under the city, and that is uh, the dungeon from from Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, and now and then, of course, in, I I tweak the the um, what is the the thing that's sucking up all the souls in that adventure. Monger, the, 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 the soul, monger. soul monger. Yeah. Uh, so instead of the soul monger sucking up souls, it's sucking up the energy, the spirits of the champions to the dark powers as they defeat them. Right. So every time one of them is defeated, it's sucking up all that energy so that a Sararak, who was the necromancer can sort of feed it into his own death God instead of, being like all the other dark powers trying to turn himself into a god and replace one of the existing gods of, of the Forgotten Realms, he's creating his own god that can sort of be – he can be the puppet master for, right? Uh, and so um, that's where they're going to be heading next. Right after it all happened, things kind of happened quick because um, one of the players – had taken a, a boon and had been in long communication with one of the dark powers. And so that, that dark powers comet actually hit him and offered to make him the champion. But I was clear with the player, like, if you say yes, 
this goes one of two ways. Either at some point you have to betray the party and become a villain, or you just immediately become an NPC. So just know if you say yes, your character is not really your character anymore. Like I just wanted to be, you know, meta be let them know about that because I didn't want them to be surprised. Oh, I don't get my character now? Yeah, so I didn't want to pull that on him. Uh, so he ultimately said no. One of the other um, dark powers actually chose the Castellanter kids from Dragon Heist. Um, their, their parents had done this thing where they lost their souls, right? They gave up their souls and they're just sort of these empty husks of kids with, without souls. And so the players are like, well, we don't, we don't want to like deal with this. And so they gave them to the temple of Torm, the halls of justice. And like, you, you guys look after these kids. So I'm like, perfect. So one of the dark powers chooses them. They merge together into this giant two headed monster that bursts out of the halls of justice and rampages like a kaiju through water deep before, before teleporting away. Right. So that was super fun. Uh, and then a couple of other comments actually hit water deep too. One of them hit, um, this rival, uh, of one of my characters, um, she has had this rival in her backstory from the beginning, and he's popped up three or four times, and he, and they they all just absolutely hate him because he just keeps – like they can't kill him, and he just keeps escaping. Like I built him with all kinds of teleportation spells and whatever so he can always find a way to escape, right? And he's he just – and so at the end of Dragon Heist, they finally caught him. They gave him over to Laryl. She bound him and took away his magic and whatever, and they stuck him in a prison cell, uh, and then – this dark power hits him, he accepts, and the dark power breaks him out of the prison. And so, oh, now we got to deal with him again, right? And so as they're on their way back to Trollskull Manor, like this is – they still haven't even made it home after coming back to, from Barovia. Uh, and then they're attacked by by one of the champions in Waterdeep. There's one that's uh, like the Hellhound Whisperer, um, <laughs> and it's kind of a silly one. So I'm like, that's a good like first – fight right this doesn't need to be a major story point but this one was was chosen and the dark powers like these guys are going to be problematic go go kill them quickly while they're still reeling from the fight with Strahd. uh and so they fight off that one and it was tough because i i the stat block i pulled for him that i thought was kind of interesting that i reskinned was from book of fiends and was like a cr 21 creature and they're like level 12 um, they won, but it was a tough fight, and I had a couple of them on the ropes. Uh, and, and the one player was gone that night. The one player that was hit by his comet that, that said no to his um, deal, becoming a champion. Um, I had the, I had it work a little differently with him, where where the dark power hit him, and then he just like kind of like went into a coma. And that was my way of dealing with the fact that that player wasn't there, and I'm not going to have the consequences of that choice happen if the player's not there to make the choice. Uh, and he's he's also their heavy hitter. So have, not having their heavy hitter made that fight a little bit tougher, I think. Uh, so they they defeated that um, that champion. They got back to to Trollskull Manor. They found out about what happened with the Castellander kids. They went to go check out the temple and, and see where they could help out. Um, they they did some of that, and they the, you know the the creature was gone. So they went back home again. And as they got back home, it's like holy crap! Like things are crazy. What, what are we going to do? And where are we going to go next? And we should probably go down to this jungle and chult because because this character has like been looking for this guy for his entire life, and now he's got a chance. Uh, but we should we should go take care of that. Uh, plus, they saw the gray comet shoot out of the one that they killed and fly far to the south. Um, so they they suspect what's going on there, and then. The rival, his name is Zeres, uh, sort of steps out of the shadows in the middle of Trollskull Manor and says, well, you could go do that, but I think first we have some some things to deal with, right? Uh, and so they have this big epic fight with with him. Uh, and then I 
and, and, and as that sort of wrapped up, I, I decided that it, I've tried to seed sort of Easter eggs in this campaign to descent into Avernus because as soon as we're able to play back in person when this campaign's over, we'll be doing that one. Uh, and so I, I seeded this idea of infernal contracts. Plus the, the one character is, is a tiefling from Dis. So she's been talking about like contracts and making deals with devils and that kind of stuff for since level one. Uh, and so I had an imp show up and be like, I, I hear you're all going out to do something very, very important. Um, and you've got a lot of money, but you're not very well equipped because fifth edition is such that you don't just have magic item shops sitting around, right? It's not fourth and third where getting lots of magic all the time was necessary to keep up with the mechanics of the game. Uh, but my players, some of my, one of my players I think is primarily used to third. And so that is, that chafes him. So I gave him an opportunity. Like I will send you to the greatest magic item shop in all of the planes, and you have to sign this deal. And you don't have to give up a soul unless you break the deal. You don't have to give up a soul or anything. Uh, it's just you're going to be going up against one of these new champions. It's a, it's a pit fiend named Gargoth. You have to promise me you're not going to kill it. You have to like find a way to bind it. right? Because they're, I'm, I'm setting them up to creating the shield because this, this devil they're making a deal with wants them to create the shield because they want the events of Descent into Avernus to take place. right? Um. And so, so two of them sign. Yeah, sure. And then one of them goes off and, and he has, uh, in between sessions, he's had uh, a big long, like we've spent, we've got all that money from Dragon Heist and we've picked up money in Barovia. We've never had a chance to spend any of this money. What are we doing, right? Now I'm in a magic item shop and they can get literally anything. They don't know this. This is a magic item shop that, that has been in campaigns that I've run and that my old high school friend, friends ran, ran going all the way back to second edition. And it's sort of, sort of a reoccurring, like this is a place in Sigil. Uh, and it's run by um, – at the time, we, we had it run by – was it Beelzebub, the, the, the Prince of Lies? Um, but I, I've – you pulling out from Cobalt Press um, – I forget which book it is, Tome of Beasts maybe. I pulled out Mammon and decided it's actually being run by Mammon because that makes sense for a shop uh, keeper, right? So there's, a, there's a, a, an archdevil running a magic item shop. In, in Sigil, who will totally, like, he's on the up and up. He won't lie to you. He won't cheat you. He's totally going to, like, sell you whatever you want. And he has access to every magic item below legendary available if you can pay the price for it, right? Now, did you just take an item from a devil who can now use that to scry you anywhere in the plains? Sure. But we probably won't actually have to deal with that. We'll see. <laughs> right? Uh, and so we did this whole, like, I mean, it was a long like he spent six hours in game there uh, and did this whole shopping trip. And I gave him the opportunity, like if you want to spend, he'll, he will let you for a hundred, hundred gold, take the time to whittle down and choose the very specific item you're looking for. Cause, you, Cause your character doesn't know like the names of the magic items in the DMG. So you can't just say, I want a plus one sword. That's not a thing your character knows. But, but if you want to like take the time to whittle it down and make it work with, with this guy, he'll, he'll, he'll charge you 100 gold for his time. But then he'll, he'll do that, right? And then you can just give me the list of everything that you want as long as you spend 100 gold per item just to ask for it. Or you can say, I want an item that does this and see what you get, right? Uh, and he only, he only allowed that twice. He only let me be creative twice. So I tried to be really creative. And I pulled um, 
He's like, I want a dagger that does more damage, right? Okay, fine. And so I found, uh, uh, I, I modified the shark tooth blade from the Caesar Verdari uh, campaign setting that uh, Branda started uh, worked on. Uh, and, and then there was another one. Um, and then they didn't end up buying that one. But so I tried to come up with fun and creative ones for those few that they didn't just give me the list, right? So they went shopping, and that was in between sessions. We didn't play one session because it was Christmas Day, um, and then we didn't play last Friday. We were all looking forward to it, but then there was an ice storm, and uh, two, one of the players wasn't going to be able to make it. Two of the players, lost because they lived together, lost power during the ice storm, and then it's like, well, now we're down to just two players, and so at the last minute we canceled last Friday's game. So this next session, um, they're heading down into Chalt, um, and they're going to um, – I'm going to layer in a little more, uh, you know, because Descent into Avernus has a cameo from, um, what is it, Captain Portier, who you could possibly meet in Tomb of Annihilation. Do you remember that, Mike? You played that. I don't remember that. She, she was the Flaming Fist captain. Oh, yeah, 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 right, sure. Yeah, 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 I do. And she shows up in Descent into Avernus. She, like, comes back right. to replace older Ravenguard, right? So I'm right. going to – and then there's also the um, – She died in my Tomb of Annihilation game. Did she? Yeah. So I'm going to have her, like, be outside of the tomb um, with some flaming fist that had chased um, some creatures here that had kidnapped one of their superiors who had come to, to inspect the camp or whatever. And, and I'm going to have that be um, – uh, Alder Ravenguard, who will be the, the the NPC in the sarcophagus after the the Atropol. Uh, I don't know how far you uh, if they went to that part, right? Because you could, mm-hmm. I imagine, just sort of walk out of the adventure from there. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I'm gonna so if they get there, that's going to be the NPC, not somebody who's important to them now, but a little cameo of somebody who's going to be important later on. Um, and then and so I've spent I spent a good amount of time over the course of a week or so, taking all of the maps and tokens and whatever and preparing Tomb of Annihilation in Roll20 um, mm-hmm. and getting that all set up. Uh, and then I've got... And then I figured the, that one... The idea is that from defeating that champion, Aserarak, not only does, does this accomplish something for the one character personally, but from that one, they can learn how to call the the dark um the dark powers right they the the soul monger is, is pulling their energy from all over the world so from that they can call they can learn how to call the dark powers and then the other one when they go after gargoth um uh, i've talked about this a little bit on the discord i'm gonna have basically gargoth they're gonna be in elturel gargoth is gonna be going after the champion and there's gonna be i'm gonna use the mass combat rules and there's gonna be like a fight going on down below uh and the pcs are specifically supposed to use the cover of that to go and free Gideon Lightward, who's been captured by Gargoth's, uh, you know, cult. Uh, and, and all of that to, to distract uh, or to get Gargoth's attention enough to get him to leave the companion alone and come down and deal with them so they can do the ritual to trap him inside of the, the celestial shield, which will create the shield of the Hidden Lord. I need to set up all of that now that I've got it all figured out. Uh, but it's all kind of coming together. And once they get all of, you know, once they could get that, now now they know how to bind, in a, an appropriate item, they know how to bind a dark power, right? You combine the two of them, I can now call dark powers and I can now bind dark powers. And now they, they can basically go to Amber Temple and use the sarcophagi and retrap the dark powers whenever they are up for it, right? Uh, instead of going around and hunting all of them and then waiting for them to come back and, and what have you. 
but they can still go out and hunt down whatever ones they want. And so we can just sort of play it from here at that point. Um, and then I mentioned uh, earlier that I, I was inspired by the conversation that Sam and Brandis had from DMG2 3rd Edition during the 12 Days of Edition Wars. And it was the companion spirit idea that I liked because um, there's the, the poltergeist, the spirit in Trollskull Manor, um, that one of the players like became really close to. And then in Barovia, I had that spirit leaf be be affected by the powers of Barovia and he was being called by the darkness of Strahd and the land of, of Ravenloft and all that kind of stuff, right? But he but he was a, a mirror for the one character who was also kind of being tempted to darkness and whatever and, and he was like, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep fighting, I'm gonna hold out and I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on to who I am and I'm not going to fall down this path, right? And that was my way of, of having this ro- really intense role-playing scene with them where they got to, to reflect on their decisions as a character and whether or not they were going to be tempted and, and it worked out really well and what have you. And so now uh, I think in the next session tomorrow night, um, Leaf is going to give them the opportunity. Uh, there were these three NPC uh, Star Elf sisters who helped protect the manor that they had hired as staff who'd like these, they're basically the weird sisters from, you know, what Shakespeare or whatever, uh, who, who just sort of showed up and be like, Oh, we should work here. We, there's, there's a destiny and we need to be here right now. And so they stuck around. They did this thing that protected Trollskull Manor while they were in Barovia. And then when, uh, the manor came back from Barovia, they're like, all right, well, we've, we've fulfilled our destiny. Bye. Right. <laughs> um, but I'm going to say that Leaf sort of learned from them sort of what is keeping him in this world and how he can use what he's learned to sort of reinforce the bond that they have together as a group, that they've developed together as a group. Uh, and so I'm going to use the the companion spirit concept that you, that you all talked about in the third edition DMG2. Uh, and I, I – and I – chose one where all of the abilities that it gets you, that it grants them is, is based on the teamwork, based on the, the player sort of, it, you, you, nothing gives you a benefit for you. It's all a benefit that you grant other people in your group. And so it sort of helps push that concept. Um, especially cause this group, we, we had to kick a player out cause it just wasn't, he just wasn't gelling with the rest of the group at all after, a year or so and finally uh, other players just got you know i'm like i'm used to playing with 12 year olds so i can deal with whatever right um but some of the other players were just not okay uh and so we had to ask him to leave and this is after he'd gone through three characters and everybody else had been playing the same person from the beginning um (laughs) and so now now is the time to sort of talk about how how do we come together and gel as a group now that the sort of those distractions are gone. And so I'm using that concept for leaf. I've, I wrote it up today actually. So it's all steaded out all the way through tier five, if they choose to invest into the ritual to strengthen that bond. So, hmm. so it'll be fun. But my big, my big revelation, having finished curse of Strahd, which I just bought the module on roll 20, uh, to moving into preparing tomb of annihilation is if you're not just buying the module, it is a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, yeah. it, it, I mean, my prep time is significantly longer now. Now, I think I've, you know, I've finished up uh, Tomb of Annihilation's dungeon, and I've got all the maps, I've got all the dynamic lighting, I've got all the tokens ready to go, like everything is there and it's done and it's ready to go. 
Um, so it'll go really smoothly for however long it takes them to go through that dungeon now. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a good solid week of spending an hour or two a day getting it to that point. Yeah. Um, and, and at the same time, like my players aren't going to – my players are such they're not going to – allow me to run a campaign just theater of the mind on on discord or whatever that's not the kind of play they want to they want to get into mm-hmm. um so it's going to be you know this last bit of this campaign is going to be a little bit of work but hopefully i can keep up right now it's easy because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on winter break so i got time <laughs> we'll see what happens when i start writing articles or i've got a grant proposal to work on and all that other stuff so so yeah, yeah. Online play using Roll Twenty is just requiring a lot more prep time than. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot. Yeah. So there we are. It, it is what it is, and and that's part of the sacrifice of living in a pandemic, I guess. Well, it depends on your play style. Well, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not spending a lot of time on maps. I'm playing a lot. <laughs> uh, in 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 my uh, group, that is the play style, and so it's taking yep. me a lot more time. So. Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sam, you got to take off and deal with something? I do. Sorry. Are you, are you taking off, taking off, or will you be back, you think? I probably will not be back. Okay, that's fine. Well, luckily, to... luckily, you've already had your chance to, to chat. Next time, next time when Sam's going, I'll take off. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, Mike. <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, no. Go, do, go deal with that. Uh, Michael, I'll, I'll listen intently and give all the best Sam style advice that I can to to Mike. Awesome. You're going to lavish praise on Forgotten Realms. Yes, yep. and people are missing out if they don't love the realms. <laughs> it's not real D and D if you don't love the realms. Forgotten Realms yeah. is fantastic, and Dungeon of the Mad Mage is not an adventure. Yes. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, that that rounds out my night. So, yep, okay. There you go. <laughs> all right, guys. See you later. All right. Bye. Take care, Sam. All right. Uh, Before we let Mike talk, though, I should mention that uh, other ways you can support the show besides using AwesomeDice.com is you can go shopping at Amazon or DMs Guild. There are links at TomeShow.com to get you there, or you can support us directly as a patron over at Patreon.com slash TheTomeShow. Those those people are supporting us directly, and we appreciate them fantastically. Some of them, I think, are in the chat uh, watching us on the stream right now, so... Um, there we are. All right, Mike. Yo. I know you need to like take off and eat ice cream or pudding or something tonight. No, I'm good. I had my dessert before the show. <laughs> Did you? Okay. I, I, yeah, you were eating. Wife made cookie bars. Cookie bars. Okay, I thought it was brownies or something. I had a handful. I had a handful. Like a, it's the shape of a brownie, but it's cookie stuff. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a handful of peanut butter M&Ms. All right, Michael. I Yo. Am, I am putting a firm... 15 minutes on the clock, no going over. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can stay to it. All right. The time is yours. Uh, so I'm running three games, and I have three conclusions all happening roughly the same time. I'm in the final chapter of Descent into Avernus, and both of my Eberron games are getting close to their final conclusion. My Wednesday game, I think, is now... I, they just kicked in the door to the big final battle. And I expect that we'll have like a session of big final battle. And then I, I talked to them about having like a session of aftermath, right? Like kind of cleaning all the loose ends that occur. Like just having the battle and ending a campaign kind of is a little is a little short, I think, when you've had like a year long campaign. It's almost yeah. nice to have a, an epilogue. Right? Yeah, I, 
I, I spend a whole session. You're talking to NPCs. You go go back to Sharn. You know. Yeah. See, I usually try to give like after the final battle of a campaign. I try to give make sure there's like an hour left of the session, so I can right. sort of do an epilogue. I, and, and I might. Yeah, I might consider doing. I, I we'll see how it goes, but I may be willing. I may like to do like a whole session. Yeah, you know, I mean, if, you, after, if you can, you got stuff to do. Like go the for players it. Players are super interested in that, so I don't know. We'll see. They're kind of eager, like, hey, well, I kind of like to run Star Frost Maiden, so okay. we'll see. Um, yeah, so that uh, I'll probably talk about the Ebron game, and then and then my my Avernus game. I'm in the final chapter, and that's I think I probably only have a couple, maybe two sessions left of that next, tomorrow, and then one more after that, and then that game. Uh, I'm the, the DM chair is going over to one of the players, so I'll I'll be able to relax and just play D and D every other week instead of nice. running it all the time. Do you know what you're um, going to play? Nope, no idea. Nice. Something, something like something D and D, whatever. Oh, wow. oh, interesting. Right? Yeah, I asked. I asked for nothing too weird. I want to play like good old traditional D and D. You want to, you want to kill goblins and yeah, true. What I, what I refer to as true D and D, which of true. course we know to be Forgotten Realms. Hmm. Right. Yes. So the best, the best that. setting. The best. The only way to really play D and D. Right. If you're not playing the Forgotten yeah. Realms, you're not I playing D and D. Yeah, you're not really playing D and D. Thanks. Hi, Sam. So. <laughs> Watch, he'll edit that out. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, we forget he's the editor. He has ultimate control right. about what comes out. <laughs> like Greyhawk. So, oh, uh, yeah, so my Everon game is closing in on the end. And I'll tell you, like, running a homebrew campaign and then getting to, like, the conclusion of a homebrew campaign ha- is stressful. Mm. Right. Like it's it's you want to kind of make sure that that final situation and the final thing that's going on is going to be a good conclusion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's 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 always like I already sort of have some good thoughts in my head, like twists in the plot line are fine if it's not the last thing that happens in a game, uh, you know, I i.e. Game of Thrones final episode. Right. Like right. You, you don't want to just change everything all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, give, give people what they want. Right. Like. They want a conclusion. We're going to give it to them. And I'll tell you, like a really another another dirty trick that I'm doing is I think there's no fewer than four bosses in the final battle. So instead of having like one boss, and then they're just going to nuke that one, they've got two of the three dogs of Sorakel and their longtime villain Leto Skull, an Oni mage, and they, they don't know this, shh, but they but Leto Skull's right hand. A Lamia, Lamia enchanter named uh, Valentine uh, survived being shot through the head because she's a Lamia and they're cursed and they just resurrect right on wherever they were cursed from. Uh, thing, thing is, if char- if bad guys, if NPCs die and you want them to come back, the world has resurrection and other people have it yeah. besides besides PCs. In this case, she's she's sort of she's almost suicidal because she's been she's like twenty thousand years old and she cannot be killed. When she's right. killed, she returns back to her cursed temple. The secret is Lido Skull moved the temple from where it was to Sharn. So now she resurrects in Sharn all the time. And she did back then too, but she's been, you know, she's been lurking around. So they don't know that she's going to show up, but we'll see how that goes. Cause they're like, I shot her in the eye like that. You know, that she should have been dead a long time ago. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, she's back. So that might be a little bit of a twist that they don't like, but then they get to kill her again. So yeah, that's <laughs> fun. Um, so I got lots of bosses. It's, it's a great big, like they're making the weapon, uh, I def- I defined the weapon. I I finally made it. You know, instead of like noodling around on what the weapon of mourning is for Eberron, I said I know what it is. And spoiler in my game, the weapon of mourning is a living wish spell. So they have these like living spells in Eberron, right? Well, 
the, the, whether or not the original weapon was that the new one is them capturing a living wish sure. and then they can use that living wishes to, to basically do whatever they want. Right. So, it's, so, it's almost so like, what did, what did the living wish do that caused the morning? I think it, so I think this, the ritual was disrupted the first time. Basically what I did is it was a Chernobyl event. So there was mm. a portal the, the the final location is a is a place called Claw Rift, which is this right. huge, um, you know, huge constructed uh, uh, facility beneath the city of Making, which is you know kind of in the center of Mornland, was in the center of Sire, sort of like um, uh, one of the the national labs, um, Los Alamos. Like one of the national labs where they basically were building, like where the Manhattan Project was taking place, right? right? right. It's a, it's like a city in the middle of nowhere where everybody that works there, everybody that lives there is working on the bomb, right? So everybody in making was working on the weapon, you know, and it was hidden away from all of the other nations. Um, but then it went bad. And so the Chernobyl event was like, the, the basic idea is they, they built it in making because deep down under the ground was a city even older than the, the Dakani, the Goblin Empire. The goblins had built a city around it because they found it. And then the Galifar empire built on top of that. And then sire built on top of that. And now the new group is coming in. So there's these layers of civilizations. But if you go deep enough, there was a portal down there that could connect to multiple worlds. It was sort of like a, a multi-point. Um, I forget what they call them in Eberron. There's a name for like weak spots between the planes. Right. Which is, which is a big deal in Eberron because Eberron connections to other worlds and other planes is, is tougher to do. Depends. So some of them right. are more, you know, they have these things called manifest zones, which are like right. weakened barriers between worlds. Uh, but there's one manifest zone that they don't have anymore, which is to Dalcor, the dream world. And so that's been sort of a big theme in the campaign, too. So now there's this there was this ancient portal down there that you could tap into basically all of the planes at once. And you could draw energy from these other worlds and use it for stuff. So they were using it back then to fuel the weapon. They had a huge dragon shard. They had this unlimited source of energy. And then they had magic spells where they could bind that energy into a, into a weapon. And it didn't work the first time and it blew up the portal, the, right. the portal shattered. So now there's this huge raw rift that's like pouring energy into the world. And it was so bad. Like it turned a bunch of soldiers into glass and it, you know, destroyed the whole Mornland, right? Right. But there's this like giant center pillar of energy pouring in, which is just like, you know, the blown reactor. I watched Chernobyl and you the big blown reactor. And if you look at it, you just melt. And um, so the new group is going down there and they're like, we're going to, you know, the energy is still there. It's un it's unbound, but we can still use it. And we have the magic and we have these huge dragon shards. We're going to do it. And we're going to get the Droam, who's the monstrous nation, is the one that's trying to accomplish it. Because if they can get the weapon, uh, they can become a ratified nation, uh, according to the Treaty of Thronehold. Like, you know, this is the if I have the bomb, you're not going to screw with me, you know. And and, you know, so there's a lot of there was a lo very lot of interesting like talk about, well, what happens if they get it? Will they use it? And like, I mean, if they use it, they'll lose it. Right. So they don't want to use it. But like, well, everyone else will go to war against them if they have it. And like, yeah, but what kind of war are they going to run if they've got a weapon like that? You know, so. A lot of fun, like what happens if the drum gets the thing. Um, but it does play into that. We were having the conversation earlier about like, what is a fourth edition D&D &D battle like where you've got like the seven variables, you know, you've got monsters and terrain and environmental effects and weird tchotchkes and doodads that you can mess with mm -hmm. that do things, you know, um, 
you know, what what uh, Dave the game called the out. You know, the the idea of like what's the way to end the battle before everyone's dead on one side. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I'm and I'm thinking about it like you know one of the things I recommend in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master is that like you can ad lib just about everything in D and D except boss battles. And boss battles you actually have to take some time and make sure you get them right. Like the balance has to be right. It's why we did Fantastic Layers, right? Like the the premise of Fantastic Layers was boss battles are hard. So we're going to do the heavy lifting for you, you know, and now I have to do the heavy lifting for my own game. (laughs) Available today at slideflourish.com. Yeah. So it's trying to like think about that battle. And I was really stressed out. First of all, I was stressed out anyway. And then we had the events of yesterday. And now I'm really stressed out. And And I got to run. You live live near DC. Yeah. 20 miles away from me. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, not that, you know, it wasn't a big deal, but like one of my friends who was on the call was like, we're, we're uh, curfewed here. (laughs) Like, you know, so. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little freaky. Yeah. So I and I, and I said like I'm just going to run a short game and I'm going to end it before the big battle and that way I don't have to worry about the big battle, you know. And they had some fun stuff like I'm doing the um I'm doing like the shoveling in every NPC they've met, you know. It's kind of funny like you're in the middle of the Mornland in this wasteland in this ruined city, and there's this you know huge rift and hey all your friends are here mm-hmm. right like hey Cavella your friend from the Dask she's here. <laughs> well, how'd she get here? Well, she came with the drawm. So um, I, I had I had sort of a triple triple agent show up, like a you know, the head of the desk, the the criminal arm of the drawm and Sharn ended up becoming an ally of the characters, but then got brought back to the drawm, and now she switched again right. and told the characters everything about what's going on, and now left. Right? She's like, I'm, you know, I'm I'm hoping to get out of here. Yeah, I've been um, I oh, over winter break. I usually pick a, a video game that I've got because it's the only chance I have to really play stuff and I've been I've been playing Knights of the Old Republic too. Yeah, uh, is that is that it's not Nebron, is it? No, it's Star Wars. Oh Knights of the Old Republic. I'm thinking Neverwinter. Yeah. Sorry. No. Um, Which of course is you're right. Um, but there I got to the I finished it the other day, which is good because then later literally the next day my laptop died. Um, <laughs> which is it's ten years old. It's it was time. But um, but it, you know the, the the end as you as you're cycling up to the end of it, there's like a certain point where it's like now all of a sudden you're not allowed to pick which characters are in your party because everybody yeah. gets their own little spotlight. All of the yeah. like the security officers from every world you visited are suddenly on this space station to help out with this this battle because it's it's that scene that you're talking about. Like for yeah. whatever reason, every NPC with a name that you've met in the entire game shows up in these last two locations so that you can see them. And like, I, there, yeah. was, there was one spot where like the main character is barreling forward into the, the, the Sith temple or whatever to, to finish the whole thing and whatever. Uh, and there's this little side story with one of the, the characters that you have in your party uh, and you have to play her every now and then. And I'm like, okay, well, that means I'm going to run into her and I'm going to be able to start forming a party again. I'm not going to have to like solo the, the end of the, the game. Uh, no, you're you do have to solo the end of the <laughs> the end of the game. Uh, they just wanted to give that one character a little bit of a spotlight Moment. because otherwise yeah, right. she didn't have anything at the end. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like Mass Effect Three, where kind of later when they were adding, they were kind of trying to fix it up after it was released, and they they added a party. So it's like you're getting ready to do the big final battle, and then you have like a house party, and all the characters are there. Right, <laughs> and you're like sitting there with drinks. Just an excuse yeah. to see everybody and remember. Just an excuse you know. to see everybody. And I remember like I went through two runs of Mass Effect of all three games, and in one of them, 
I, I played like a paladin where I tried to make every moral right choice I could make. And, and the, I think everyone survived except one person. And then the, the time, the other time I went the opposite and it was me and one other guy at the party. <laughs> Everyone else had been killed. And I'm like, I've got like the crazy red veins and the red eyes across my face. I'm like, yeah, sucks about so-and-so, huh? You know, <laughs> the one other character that I don't think can die. So how, so how, how are you going to justify all of these NPCs showing up in the Mornland when so nobody it's goes? Really only, I, think, I think that was it, right? I, I think like the NPCs that were showing up was, was Cavella who is a, the, the head of the desk. And it made sense that she was, you know, th- th- nobody had a problem with the idea that she was brought in because the daughters brought her back in. Okay. They knew she had betrayed them, you know, and they, they brought her in and said, you're, you're getting close to us and your brother's here. And he tried to betray us too, which means you guys are now going to go down to the claw rift to make the weapon for us, you know? And so, um, yeah, the other, the other trick is I have these, this whole other angle that I threw in, which are these, um, sentient crystal balls known as the emissaries and the the emissaries there's seven of them and i think three of them are now in play two of them will be in the final scene but three of them are in the city and like how to work their storyline in while everything else is going on is going to be tricky it's a whole you know, it's a lot of variables going into one battle of like what happens when they start pulling out their sentient orbs and the orbs start doing Evard's black tentacles on everybody. Right. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be uh, it's going to be a wild ride. So the nice thing is I'm running it for two groups and my Wednesday group is probably two sessions ahead of my Sunday group, which means I will try it with the Wednesday group and see how things go. And then I'll know how to tweak it for the well, Sunday group. And there's a degree with your um with you wanting to do an epilogue, maybe a whole epilogue session, right? That, that if, if all of those things don't tie up in the, the final encounter, you can ep- like this other, yeah, you can, yeah. Oh, the sentient orbs didn't get pulled out during the final battle. That's fine. But let's tell a little bit of a story and maybe, maybe there's purposely like, and then, and who knows what they went, the trouble they went on, to co- you know? So, right. Uh, right. you know, you can still leave a little bit of a, a of a tantalizing tease. Like yeah. there's more to the future, but cause you know, the world doesn't stop. Time doesn't stop when, when your campaign is done. But yeah, the, uh, one of the funny things that happened was, um, they went in and they've gotten beat up pretty heavily on their way down there. And there was no chance for a long rest before the fight. So they're going in like with scraping the bottom of barrel of their spells. Mm. And they're, you know, they burn, they already, they use up every hit die and they're like drinking every health potion they've got. They're like, we'll buy more when we're done. You know, we're either going to be dead in which case it won't matter if our health potions are around or we'll go buy more when we're done with this. And uh, one of the players said, we are dangerously close to the recommended number of encounters per day in the drag in the in, in the dungeon master's guide, <laughs> which cracked me up. Right. Nobody actually nobody actually makes it to the <laughs> to the, you know, it's like 12 to 14. My, la- a day. my last uh, encounter day, they had two encounters. Uh, but but what? One of them was that badass uh, CR twenty one, and then the other one was the rival who came to kill them because he's been trying to kill him since level four or whatever. Uh, and and that one I also used a, a, a reskinned stat block from Book of Fiends that was like CR twenty three, and he's like, "Well, you just barely survived fighting this other person. Of course, I'm going to attack today. Why would I wait?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, right, right. You burnt down. Yeah, yeah. So that's. Yeah, it's the other thing is when you have villains, like I've had this villain, Leto Skull, who's like super, super smart, this Oni spy that's worked for the Droam and he worked for the Orum and he, 
you know, ran his own thing and he ran expeditions into Zendrak for a long time. And so he's like a crafty guy. And the idea that like they're just going to go beat the crap out of him, it's like, well, he wouldn't put himself in a situation, but he doesn't know they're coming. Right. Like they're busy making this thing. It's like you're here. Like, you know, we're like 3000 miles away from, you know, Shard. I thought I left you there. Now you're coming in here. You're going to punch me in the face. So, yeah, so that that that's it's good. It's kind of interesting to kind of finish up three campaigns all at once. Yeah. And um, and then we're moving off to Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. I, I did my one are, page. I say uh, the, it, the, the two Eberron groups are going on their Frostmaiden. Yeah, the Frost other Maiden. one is somebody else. DMing. The other one. Where, yeah. One of the one of the players is going to is going to pick up the DM. My, my friend of mine, he's an excellent DM and he's I've played in his games before. And right. so it's it, he, he volunteered and I said, yeah, sure. I don't get to play in a campaign. So it'd be nice. Uh, and I, you know, I have no, if I decide like, oh, I'm kind of miss DMing that. It's like, I don't think I'll have any problem firing up another game. Well, and so. you, you already have, how could you miss DMing? You already have two other games I going. Two, I think it's like, <laughs> oh, I miss doing three games a week. Yeah. Like that seems <laughs> likely. <laughs> Although, I, I was going to say, uh, uh, what is it? Ish- there was a time there where like I was running play tests for fantastic layers. Right. Avernus and two Eberron games and that and it wasn't that it, it there were a couple weeks where I was running four games in a week and that was a that was too much uh Ish, Ishmael uh or Ismail Alvarez who does our social media at least he helps with Facebook posts and, and that kind of stuff um regular guest I don't know if you've met him before um but he when the pandemic hit he went from like three or four games at a time I think he's up to like I don't know, nine campaigns he's running simultaneously <laughs> right now. I'm like, that is insane. You have more games than you have days of the week. I don't know. <laughs> they must yeah. not all be weekly. So I don't, I don't know how he does it all, but yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, light prep, you, you can't do uh four roll 20 games. Uh, he, you know, all, all of his games are roll 20. Style. Really? All, yeah. Are they all republished adventures. I don't know. He, he, he's the one that, that helped me figure out how to do Earl 20. So gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that's, so I'm, 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 I'm both looking forward to, and I'm a little apprehensive about Frostmaiden. I think it'll be fine, you know, but I guess it just hasn't grabbed me yet. Right. That the theme of the adventure just hasn't quite grabbed me yet. Yeah. You know, I've been, I, uh, my initial and I, and impressions, I'll get there. my initial impressions of Frostmaiden were really negative and yeah. all of my criticisms I think are still there, but there's enough interesting stuff that I'm kind of reconsidering whether or not I might want to fix it and still run it someday. Um, which, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, part of it is, you know, capitalism on my part that like, you know, it, when I, when I run a published adventure, particularly one that's as popular as like descent into Aphronis or, or rhyme of the frost main, and I'm writing articles about it and I'm doing videos about it. Like I get a lot of hits on both of those. Like it's, it's, you know, when, when you do a deep dive of a, of a published adventure, it's a pretty easy topic to, to get attention on. So there's part of me that's like, you know, it's a good, you know, that, 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 that's good. The other part though, is like, I, I wasn't that interested in running a homebrew adventure. Right. So like with Eberron, I did it, but it wasn't like, I was like, Oh, I can't wait to run my own thing. I'm so tired of running these published ones. It's like, no, that's not true. Like I love running published adventures yeah. and, and I run them all. And, and you know, there's definitely like, you don't have to worry too much about what the boss fight is going to be like, because like, you know, a Sarah rack in the thing, you know, it's like, it's, that's, there. A, that's a whole other issue. I'm going to be recording an episode about this in a couple of weeks is the plan. But, um, you know, uh, cause somebody asked, well, what do you do? 
when we're not done. Uh, a, a, a listener emailed and is, is like, what do you do when you've run the Watsy adventure and they're level 12 because all of them stop sort of around that level. Uh, but you're not done with these characters. You want to keep telling the story, and I'm and I'm like, well, if you, and if you think about it, like to my to my opinion, very few of the Watsi published adventures actually end with with what I consider to be a pretty satisfying campaign ending. It's a decent adventure ending, but it's not a campaign ending. You know, uh, uh, you know, Princes of the Apocalypse, Tyranny of Dragons do uh, does that. Uh, uh, Descent into Avernus can, depending on which ending you get. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, like, I don't think I can have a problem tying up Descent and Avernus. I didn't with Storm King's Thunder. I didn't with. See, I don't find the, I don't find the Storm King's Thunder satisfactory. Satis- I love satis- some for me. I mean, fine. again, so so one thing I, I thought I was thinking about it today. I, was, I thought about this because I saw that um, the Sword Coast Adventures Guide is in the uh, player bundle for the D&D Beyond. And I thought that was kind of interesting that they made mm-hmm. that part of that package. And I thought like one of my big complaints about Storm King's Thunder was that like. If it had come out the same time as the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, you would essentially have this like 192-page handout for Storm King's Thunder, because you know that that it runs all over play. that place. Yeah, it's all it's they're covering the same territory. Only one is player focused. You know, one the player can read all of it, right? right? And the other one the player cannot. And if you think about Storm King's Thunder as a campaign source book for the Sword Coast and not as an adventure. Sure. It actually works better. Yeah, right? no, my, 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 I think my only complaint about Storm King's Thunder is that the whole problem is predicated on the destruction of the Ordning and the conclusion doesn't have anything to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess like for me, tying the thread wasn't too hard and like making Imrith a big, a big final boss. Right. You know, and I, I, I kind of set her as a major boss about, about, you know, two half, oh, halfway to two thirds of the way through. I, I think if, if I eat that, Really I think fun. the easiest way to, for me to fix it would be, and, and I'm never going to run it because my current group was playing this campaign, that campaign with their last DM before I joined. So they've already played through a bunch of it and it's, okay, right. then I'm not going to mess with your preconceptions about what it is. But I think if you just took out the entire ordning thing and just said, the giants are going crazy because there's, there's mess, you know, the, the hierarchy's messed up because there's, there's trouble in the, the storm giant cord or whatever right and just ignored the ordning thing altogether that maybe it, yeah. the story hangs together better i don't know we're going all the ways but in any case uh yeah no I, satisfying really strong satisfying endings are hard and that and and mm-hmm. when it's homebrew like you mentioned it, it feels like it's even harder because yeah and, if, and because if it's not a satisfying ending that's on you right and i think the easy way is to like just just go to brass tacks like just you know, what does it have to accomplish? What does the ending have to accomplish? And then just have it do that. So it's like, what threads need to be tied together, tie them together, you know, and, and, and you know, anything that doesn't have to be done, don't try to do anything crazy or crafty. <laughs> you know, just make it as straightforward as you can. Well, so, uh, this is where I think for the last, I don't know, three, four, five campaigns I've run, uh, my method of coming up with a campaign is like, when the campaign starts, I already have like the last scene of the campaign in my head at the beginning of the, the the whole thing at session zero. I already have a vision in my head. Now it could change and it evolves and whatever. But as we go through the year, year and a half, whatever of running that campaign, like 
it changes and evolves, but it gets, also gets more detailed and I figure out how to give it more oomph because I connect it more to the players or, you know, and so I started with the, the end of scene and by the time they actually see it, like it's worked for me several times now that it's got some pretty significant oomph uh, and, and all of my campaigns of the last I don't know, decade or so have, have ended in a very, with a very satisfying sort of conclusion. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and so that is it for me. All right. Well, that's good because we have the three of us with uh, and with Sam being gone for a while have now talked for an hour and twenty minutes. So, <laughs> yep. uh, well, we, hour we, forty, according so to the Twitch. Line. We've talked longer because we we were streaming <laughs> for twenty minutes before we even started recording the episode. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, although, steal your mind has a question. Should we look at that sure. real fast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I find myself in a situation where I have a changeling PC and their backstory specifically makes it so they don't understand their heritage. If you have all the world as your own, what would you do to mess with your PC? Go. I have um, no idea. I, actually, I have a changeling PC in my Descent into Avernus game. And, I, do. I have changelings in my Eberron game. Um, and, and it's not Eberron, but that's specifically the whole thing is that um, I actually decided not to – this time I decided not to like figure out how do changelings fit into the forgotten realms, which is what I did last time I had a changeling PC. Um, in this case, because it's my son, I, I'm like, well, your grandparents are actually from Eberron and they got stuck in the forgotten realms. Um, uh, and, and maybe they actually got stuck in hell and came back with the fleeing hell riders you know, back in the day, um, that abandoned uh, Zeriel in Hell, and and so we tied it all sort of together. That, that and then I ran the uh, there's a, a DMs Guild product uh, incursion. I I think that was from several um, people, but James Intercasso was one of them. Um, and that involves like encounters on the River Styx, uh, and one of them was there's this weird experimental uh elemental ship from Eberron floating around in the river Styx that's been, you know, that you can fight the, the Yugoloths off of it and take control of it and whatever. And so he was all, he was all about that, like going crazy. Uh, cause it's from Eberron and my parents told me stories about things like this and I'd never seen one before. Maybe I can learn more about my heritage and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, he was super jazzed about picking up the ship that now basically, um, it, it, there was it, in that little thing. There's a an iron flask that the captain was using to sort of store the water elemental that ran the ship, uh, right? Which actually works out really well in in Avernus when you're when you've got a, a boat on the River Styx because you can't play the adventure and just stay on the River Styx the whole time. They have to just leave it sometimes on the banks right. of the river. But the the water elemental sort of works as the keys, right? They open the iron flask, they suck the water elemental back up, and now it's just stuck right here until we come back, you know? It's, uh, that, anyway, that's how I've dealt with the changeling in my current campaign. Uh, I guess I just, I, I didn't change it. I made it from Eberron, but I made it a, a story about, uh, we, we made it a story about how that changeling got here. My last time I, we had it, I, I made it a curse. Um, the character's, mom had been cursed by a wizard back in the day for pissing him off and she didn't know it and he didn't know it but it was going to be Hallister. this is the character who's no longer in the group so it never really played out um but that was going to be the story is that mom was cursed and turned into a changeling by Hallister, um and then the curse was passed on to him and or and that's why he was a changeling uh, but there's only just the two of them in anywhere in the world that was the other way i did it right 
Yeah, I don't know that I have anything to add. Yeah, without getting into the specifics uh, of Steal Your Minds scenario, um, I don't know. Join us can... in the join us in the Sly Flourish Discord, and we'll, we'll or we we can talk. He Steal Your Mind is is pretty frequent in the Tome Show Discord, and we have yeah, a but he could also come over to the Sly Flourish Discord. He absolutely, the Sly Flourish Discord is uh, <laughs> there are five thousand messages a day. Uh, it's 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 I don't it's know. a little. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not too, quite that bad. It's too much signal for the noise for me. <laughs> so if, if, it's all signal. It's 100%. If, 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 I get the, uh, if I get the message on the Tome Show Discord that, I, that there's more than 25 messages, I just skip them and go to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I tend to, yeah, that's what I do. So, yeah, um, kind of oh, read up. Steal Your Mind is in, is in both of those channels already. So, so we can yeah, talk about so, it there. So There you go. All right, but like I said, we were we we are at 120 or 120 an hour and 25 minutes. We should uh, we're all probably going to be close to 125 minutes, right? <laughs> uh, we should probably wrap this episode up. Uh, so I want to thank everybody in the chat for joining us. This has been fun, uh, and we miss Sam. So we're going to assume that when Mike says. Uh, good night guys or goodbye guys that Sam is here saying it too so that's the end of the episode thanks for joining us and join us next month when we do it all over again Mike say goodbye guys Forgotten Realms is awesome (laughs) perfect that was totally Sam they said that totally Sam (laughs) 